Welcome to the first episode of the second series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about one woman's story, about how she became a freelancer, the wonderful life she leads as a digital nomad, and our views on the relationship between UX, CX, and service design. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She began her career in the healthcare sector, working full-time at Booper, before going on to freelance for clients, including Jaguar Land Rover, TFL, Electrolux, and Vodafone, as well as working with top design agencies, including Fjord and Matt Watkinson's Methodical. Please welcome to the show for her first ever podcast interview, CX sister, Claire Durrant. Hey Claire. Hi Claire. <laughs> How are you doing today? I am good. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. Welcome to the Women in CX podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And welcome to all the listeners at home too. So Claire, I think it's just a really interesting time at the moment for women working in CX everywhere that perhaps we're considering career changes, our jobs are at risk, we're thinking about how to branch out going forward. Those of us that have our own businesses in customer experience have seen things really drying up. Um, so yeah, I thought today's conversation could be really great to understand a bit more about you, what it's like to be a freelancer, um, what it's like to work as a digital nomad, and just to help the und audience understand a little bit more about what's out there in the design discipline. How does that sound? Sounds great. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, let's begin at the beginning, I guess. Like, how did you become a freelancer? Um, wow. Yeah. So um, my uh, my route into um, design and, and freelancing and, and everything really was not particularly traditional. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a degree, uh, which is a requirement on every single job application you will see. But luckily, experience can replace that. Mm -hmm. um, so I was actually I was working for Booper, private medical company. Uh, this was uh, coming up to 10 years ago now. And um, I was a training consultant there. Um, training, uh, actually, training and design have have so many crossovers. So, firstly, I'd say if anyone has a background in training and educating, um, you know, helping people to understand things is essentially what we do. Mm. Um, but anyway, back to uh, my kind of journey. Um, so, while I was there, they had this uh, incentive. Uh, kind of competition thing where if you came up with a really good idea, then you could get a nice little plaque and maybe a bit of money and great, well done, you've had a good idea. Uh, so mine was for an app and the app was basically to help people understand what they were covered for because private medical insurance is complicated. Um, and when I first put the idea forward, they went, well, we, we've never done apps. We don't know what to do with this. So thanks very much, but please go away. Mm. Um, I wasn't particularly happy with that. So I harassed people around the business, put together a business case and um, went back to them and said, right, if you do this, here's potentially how much money you could save from calls coming in. Here's all the different reasons why this is a good idea. And luckily they went, oh, well, yes, maybe we should go ahead and do this. Would you like to come 
help us work on it and I said yes please um to work on your own idea that's the yeah, kind of it was it was great <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like oh you're not you're not just gonna take this away from me yeah. and dump it on someone else mm -hmm. that is kind <laughs> um so so yeah I was uh um you know bright faced up in in head office uh very exciting um and Matt Watkinson who I know that you know is uh, he was uh, the yeah he was the lead on the well the suite of apps that we were working on um and so I was basically put on that as a junior UX designer slash business analyst slash dog's body meeting organizer person um basically any, anything people didn't really want to do um and um it was actually really helpful because uh, the work that matt got me to do i was editing wireframes i was getting involved in the design and, and you know not doing the the complex stuff but but getting used to how it all worked and uh not too long after that a few months after we uh, had had done that the apps and, and delivered those um Matt had already left. He'd gone to Vodafone to work on a new project. And I got a call from him. I remember being on the bus, picking up the phone. And he's like, right, okay, you are going to quit your job. You are going to start a business, go freelance, and you're going to come work with me at Vodafone as my junior. And I went, okay. Cool. <laughs> um, and you know, it was, it was remarkably easy, actually. Um, you know, creating your own business, uh, you know, just the act of creating the business is extremely straightforward in the UK. Mm. Um, coming up with the name, potentially the difficult bit, I, w I was really boring. I just put my own name on it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm saving the exciting name for when I potentially open an agency one day, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Um, and, um, yeah, it's kind of the rest is history almost. Um, I did, after doing that contract, I did go and do some some more permi work for about a year. Mm. Um, just because I think in in permanent positions, there's a lot more opportunity to kind of upskill yourself. They, they invest a bit more time and effort into um, making sure that you're, you know, improving and growing yeah. where as a contractor your role is really to be there to produce the work they're relying on you having the expertise um and you do the project and then you go to somewhere else so so i did stop off and be a permi for for a year but since then i have been pretty much non-stop um in contract to contract to contract um yeah so so that's uh, I guess the the freelancing side of things um, and and I think being a freelancer you know people do ask me why I wouldn't want to go permi and you know recruiters on LinkedIn love to send me permi positions um, but the the thing for me is just the the variety of work that you get to have because you're kind of you're you're flitting from from place to place um also i mean i i kind of do ux design cx design and service design um so the work varies itself mm -hmm. and then also the industries that you're going to like i've worked with um 
Pottermore doing Harry Potter universe stuff. I've worked with um, companies making refrigerators and white goods. Um, just it's kind of a government, everything, like any kind of variety you could think of, it's out there to work on. And, and you just find yourself in all of these fascinating different worlds, finding out all the, the secrets and I said, they're not really secrets, but just things that you never even would have considered about yeah. how these things work. And yeah. it is, it's so interesting. Yeah. I suppose because you're not learning how to do a job, are you? You're, you're kind of crafting and honing your skills through the application at lots of different places. So the, yeah. for me, I think with one of the benefits of like freelance and the contracting side is getting to really accelerate your experience. You can get mm. a lot more experience in contracting in a shorter amount of time than you can in a permanent role. Just picking up on yeah. something that you said there. Um, so you said that you're a CX designer, a service designer and a UX designer. Now, I just love having CX geeky conversations anyway. And as someone yeah. who would call herself a CX designer or perhaps a service designer, but not UX designer. For the audience, it might be good to just understand a little bit more about the, the similarities and differences. So um, it was great to hear, you know, you came from a people oriented background in training that mm -hmm. kind of helping people to understand how to do things. I think it was a really great explanation basically about usability, which is a cornerstone mm. of what we end up doing in, in the design space. Um, and then you said that you, you started doing what wireframe um, editing when you were working with Matt initially on the Booper project. Mm. So, so how did you kind of like make the, the, the steps into CX, UX and service design or, or how would you like, articulate even what the similarities and differences are? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's one of the, it's a fascinating one. And especially in, um, I think the design side of our industry, there is so much, um, there's so many blurred lines between job titles. Yeah. And I think for some people, this, this might cause a bit of a hassle because if you have put yourself in a box of saying, I, I only do CX, then potentially you're going to look at uh, UX or service design roles and you're going to be really put off by, by those titles. Um, but, but it really, it's, it's very much doing similar things. Um, so the way I see it is uh, user experience design is really, you know, there's, there's a website or an app or a piece of software and your job is to understand people, understand how they think, how they work, and design something that works best for that. But that's confined to the website, the app, the piece of software. And then CX is um, a, like a, a little bit zoomed out. I, I, the way I see it is a zoom. So you zoom out a little bit and you've got CX. So customer experience is, it's all the interactions that someone is having with the brand. Mm -hmm. So it encompasses the UX but you might not be as involved in the nitty gritty of like, I'm going to choose which button goes where you might be more involved in saying, well, the website just needs to be able to do these things. Mm. And then a UX designer will take that from you and, and yeah. design the interactions. Yeah. And then service design. I see that again as just zooming out a little bit more. Mm. It's, it's very close to CX. Um, but it also includes all of the behind the scenes stuff that's happening within the organization. So you're designing 
um, how is how is the call center going to work? How is the internal reporting going to work? And, and really going, how do we make this entire service really joined up um, so that there's, you know, people aren't doing things in silos and, and it all works towards the common goal. Mm. And there's probably people who are listening to this who are going to disagree with some of my definitions. And I think that entirely <laughs> proves my point though. <laughs> That, that, you know, every, every time you see a job advert for one of these, yeah. it's slightly different and it includes different things from different ones. Mm. And um, the skills are so transferable. I mean, obviously, if you're doing UX, then you need to understand a bit about using prototyping software or using wireframing software. But um, if you take Sketch, for example, that's a very common tool used in UX. Yeah. They even just on their website have so many tutorials and like learn how to use this stuff. I think most people could pick that up in a couple of days. Yeah. So I don't think, um, you know, if you're, if you're, you see yourself as a CX person mm. and you're interested in getting more involved in the UX and the nitty gritty, I don't think you should ever be put off by that. Mm. And, you know, just take the plunge, have a go at it. Mm. And, the skills are so transferable in that you are understanding people, you are finding out where the problems are and you're fixing those problems for them. And that's, it's as simple as that really. <laughs> Massively yeah, no, over, really... oversimplifying our, um, no. our jobs. <laughs> I, no, no, I loved it, I loved it. I've just got a, f- a few more kind of questions and a, and a couple mm. of reflections. So I really like the way you said it's like kind of zooming out and, and that, there's some pictures around that are like the Venn diagrams, UX is mm. a small circle, CX is a big one, service designers as a larger one. I think for me, um, like service design enables you to think bigger in terms of think the proposition for example whereas the customer experience space tends to feel like it's already been agreed that's not for grabs anymore this Mm. is how do you make what you've been given work (laughs) as Mm -hmm. possible and then user experiences as you said you know the digital elements of that Um, and I agree with you about the skills being really transferable um, but service design having the greater scope like the more kind of breadth of experience you've had of understanding business I think is really Mm. important so being able to make the transition from CX to service design um, requires also a a bigger leap in terms of business understanding yeah because it's so many different facets Um, but then the user experience as you said is like zoomed right Mm. in kind of like you, you looked at the tools and the skills we might use in service design in discovery research very similar um but whereas in service design we might be talking about much bigger topics in cx we might be talking about more specific things in user research we're getting yeah. to the level of granularity aren't we where we really need to understand yeah the, um how things work so for me i think um like user experience if you said kind of like journey mapping that you did in service design is like high level you zoom in on mm. cx you zoom in again um mm-hmm. in 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 ux but ux might have a different name for journey mapping yeah. for example yeah. or, or like a service blueprint at a service design level versus a cx level it's how i yeah. love out about this stuff but it um, is it, it's so interesting and and one thing that i would add um just your point about the business understanding is um the best user experience designers that i know and the best cx designers i know and they are the people who have the best understanding of how the business works yeah, as, as an, a whole entity. entity. Yeah. And, um, you know, if it's, 
even though you're potentially just focusing on one app for this company, if you can understand that bigger picture and don't be afraid to ask the questions of the organization and, and understand where it's going to fit in, mm -hmm. then that thing that you create is going to be so much more useful. Yeah. So again, it's, it's overlapping, but with a focus on different things, definitely. Yeah, no, I agree. And you also gave me an idea, which is um, something perhaps we could work on together, mm. creating like a mini module for the women in CX community to help with some of those transitions. Um, in, in, you know, you said you mentioned using things like Sketch or Balsamic or some of mm -hmm. the applications that you'd be needing to use as a UX designer if that's the only gap that you've got that means you can't go for a job in UX, how can we help to fill that with some, um, some support or some training or at least where to go to get it? Uh, because I would not call myself a UX designer, but I could probably do it if I <laughs> was able to create, use the technology that meant I could create the wireframes and stuff. Um, Cause you yeah, yeah. um, at a CX level, we're still, you know, working with, as you said, I think a really great description, but just the next level up, you're just learning how to zoom to the next level down. And I think we have to be really realistic. The skills that are required for the future have to be digital, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's looking that way. <laughs> yeah. So like if, if you haven't made that step into the next level down of detail, it might be mm. limiting yourself somewhat in terms of the skills that are going to be in demand in the next wave especially as what's probably going to happen for the next few years is like digital <laughs> mm. solutions being the most in demand part of customer experience um so just moving on from kind of like the freelance part and what we what we, what you do in ux cx and service design now I wanted to talk about the digital nomad bit. So oh, yes. <laughs> we could both get very excited yeah. about this. Um, <laughs> for anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll have heard my stories of spending two and a half years living and working anywhere in the world. Initially as a freelancer like Claire and then starting my own CX uh, design agency. Um, but managing to do all of that whilst working from beach or palm tree or pool. Um, mm. I know for a lot of women listening along now, they'd love to hear a little bit more about that digital nomad lifestyle. And although we can't do it at the moment, which is very frustrating, um, when the world eventually does recover and we have a vaccine, it's going to be possible again. I just thought it'd be a great question to ask just a little bit more about your experience of becoming this digital nomad. What's, what, how do you balance work and life? um on the road <laughs> yeah um so so in terms of how i i got into it in the first instance i actually um i i was going through a not particularly wonderful time um i uh on top of various other things i had been dumped oh. um so i was feeling a little down claire honestly uh, <laughs> the, the most pivotal moments in my career I, I revolve around someone dumping me and me going yeah. and doing something amazing so like <laughs> Um, we we definitely have the power of turning that into the positive. So we carry on. With definitely, this but but you don't you don't have to wait to be dumped before no. you can make this. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I was I was working in London, and I just didn't really want to be here at the time. I wanted to just go somewhere else, and I had uh, a really good friend who lived in Saigon in Vietnam. So I thought, right, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be there for a month and 
see what happens. Um, and, uh, you, you know, so Saigon is not hugely expensive to, to live in. So a month is not totally unfeasible. Um, and just before I went to, to fly out there, literally a few days before I had, um, a client who I'd previously worked with based in the South of France, uh, who was asking if I could do some more work for them. And, uh, I, so I kind of said, well, is it okay if I do it? from Vietnam and not mm. from London, which doesn't really make much difference to you because I'm still not in the South of France. Mm. Um, and is it okay if I just kind of do two or three days a week rather than doing it full time? Mm. And this, this worked well for the, for the project. And I think what really helped is that we already had an element of trust there. Mm. Uh, so she knew that I was going to produce work that she was happy with. Mm. Um, and also that I could be flexible uh, with, you know, I didn't have any concrete plans of what I was doing. Um, so we, we started that. And I mean, three and a half years later, I have not been back to an office. Um, so I've obviously worked with a few different clients in that time. And I think um, a, a lot of clients are well, even before the pandemic were getting to be a lot more open to the idea of remote work, mm. because especially in our industry, I mean, even if everyone has to go into the office, you'll probably see everyone with their headphones in talking to each other on Slack anyway. So it, it makes no difference. Yeah. Um, it is nice to have FaceTime sometimes, uh, but you can do that with calling people and using Zoom. And, you know, we have various tools that kind of emulate mm. that. Um, quite well. Um, but, but yeah, back, back to the, uh, digital nomading. I mean, by, by being able to have those contracts, I, I have probably now seen, I want to say most of Asia, mm. <laughs> which is amazing. Um, West coast America, Canada. Um, and there are some challenges when it comes to being a digital nomad, you know, sometimes, the, the Wi-Fi or the electricity or whatever is just not your friend. Yep. Um, and uh, things like Airbnb help with planning ahead. But sometimes, you know, you have to be prepared to set up shop in a Starbucks, uh, which Starbucks is your friend uh, as much as we uh, love to hate them. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I, I know I've told you this before, but just for the listeners, <laughs> in my digital nomad journeys, that's where I spent so much of my time. Yeah. I actually started collecting Starbucks mugs from different countries instead of fridge magnets uh, because I spent that much time working there because the Wi-Fi and the aircon. <laughs> yeah. A <laughs> chair, a table, Wi-Fi, aircon, yeah. a plug socket. Plug like yeah. really, you can't do better than that <laughs> no. really. Um, so it's, it's ideal. And um, I suppose the way that I've generally worked while I've been traveling is I'll kind of do uh, two or three days of intensive, like get shit done and then, right. Okay. Now I'm going to go sightseeing. So, yeah. you know, you, you plan to be in a place maybe twice as long as you would have if you were just on holiday. Mm -hmm. And then that way it's like half the time getting the work done, half mm -hmm. the time going and, and having fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, I, 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 same as you kind of went alone and just went off into the world and sometimes it's, you know, you're like, oh, I wish some other people were here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I've even, I've had friends fly out to, to meet me in Japan, in Thailand. Um, so, you know, we've, we've had a bit of a, a week or two break and just had loads of fun and, and then they leave and I get back to work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, working next to a pool is, uh, it definitely, uh, take, takes the edge off having to get stuff done when you're in such a, a lovely environment, definitely. Yeah, I just, thinking about like Vietnam, the first thing that appears in my mind is just Bun Cha in Hanoi. The food mm. that I got to experience on all of my travels was definitely... <laughs> so good. But for that alone, just yeah. worth it. Yeah, and like the solo adventure, I think, was part of my growth as a woman as well mm. so like she loves adventure <laughs> yeah it's my yep. mantra um and like not being able to do that at the moment is is super frustrating but in mm. I, I think reflecting on what you said there because of the pandemic and the shift in the way that we are now able to work with people working from home with the technology that was probably somewhere on someone's digital roadmap somewhere um, that enabled us to do this kind of thing like working with clients in this way, I think will continue to become more acceptable. I think digital and design were already starting to work that way. As you said, you know, we'd have our meetings on Slack, we'd be using um, project management software online. It's gonna get easier. But the question I was gonna ask was about specifically, one of the hardest things to do in CX remotely is workshops. How do you get around mm-hmm. that? So being a digital nomad, running workshops, or even now during lockdown, how, how are you um, making sure the experience for your clients and participants is as good as in real life? Yeah, I, well, actually, I've, I've even, uh, the other day I was, was running a workshop with, um, I think, about 25 people in it wow. over the course of a couple of hours. Um, it's you know it's it's never going to be the same as being in a room with people and everyone's got a pad of post-its and you're all sticking post-its all over the walls we love our post-its i've got my pads just out of reach which is very distressing um (laughs) oh wow so yeah it's never going to be the same as that but there's there's so much that you can do Um, and you can almost kind of, um, CX design your, your own workflows in the way that you're doing this. So it's, it's setting expectations, um, making sure people know what's expected of them up front so that maybe they can have a bit of a think about it in advance. Mm. Um, and where you might have say a day long workshop with people, Mm we know that over zoom it's more tiring because you kind of feel like you're in the spotlight the whole time um so you know just cut those down make it a couple of hours maximum uh make sure there's time for breaks in there when people need them Mm. um and there are there's lots of tools out there like um miro and m-i-r-o and mural um those are both kind of free form um digital post-it type tools and they have uh loads of different um like setups you can make different kinds of uh, agile related meetings or design related meetings or all all kinds of things they've already designed into these tools so it's it's totally achievable totally doable there is just a little bit more upfront work because you know you don't need to teach anyone how to use a pen and a post-it well hopefully um (laughs) But, but you might need to do a bit of education on this is the tool we're going to use mm-hmm. and this is how we're going to use it. 
Um, and, and just think about like, what are the different uh, kind of conversations you want to have as well, because you can't have everyone speaking at once. Um, but then you have uh, tools like Zoom, which for example, you can do breakout meetings. So you can put people into smaller groups and then yeah. bring them back together, just like you would in a, in a physical workshop. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's just thinking about what you want to achieve um, looking at the tools that you have and really just planning ahead um, and doing a bit more stuff up front to make sure that you're prepared uh, for for any weird and wonderful eventualities. Mm, yeah, I, I was using Mural the other day with a, an entrepreneur, couple of girls who are just starting their own business. I was amazed by how many templates already exist mm. in there. So you don't even have to create them for yourself. Like we were yeah. doing um, like a business prioritization exercise and activity like what would the roadmap look like basically between mm. um like what can we deliver now versus what would the future like ideal customer experience be so yeah definitely well worthwhile checking out yeah um, even with um less digital skill there might be something you can just use and as you said you know prepare your audience up front mm. um so i'm just conscious of the time mm. we've been chatting forever already and it's gone so fast <laughs> Um, there was just one more question really, which was about, I know you and I have a shared experience of thinking differently than the crowd, publicly declaring our opinions <laughs> to be contrary to um, what's commonly understood or agreed, and then experiencing the backlash of um, a senior, or sorry, more established person in the community then trying to tear us down mm -hmm. now, my experience fortunately didn't happen in the public sphere this person was just really horrible to me on a phone call but um i was really shocked to hear what happened to you when you spoke out that personas might not be as useful as we all think just for yeah. the benefit could you just tell us the story of kind of like why you said that and then what happened and how you dealt with it yeah sure um so last year uh basically i i did my first ever conference which was not a conference it was an unconference um called ux camp brighton and um i i would say everyone check that out because it's it's this great format where you sign up to be a speaker and you turn up on the day and you stick a thing up on the wall that says, here's what I'm talking about. And then people decide what they're going to go and, and see. Mm. Um, and so I did, as you say, I did this uh, talk on, about personas and how I felt that a lot of the time they were oversimplified, they were stereotypes mm. and they were actually not even not useful to designing an experience, but actually could be actively harmful mm. um, because teams were making assumptions and stereotyping and lumping people together in a way that really just enforced their own bias. Yes. Um, and it went down really well, actually. And, and I suggested some practical things that teams could do to, to, stop that like, like, um while we're here i'm going to ask you what were the, the what were the, the advice tips you gave <laughs> um well so so my advice tips were um leaving out or, or not really worrying so much about i i guess what i would call them like fluffy details mm. um reinforcing things in fact uh looking Thank for you. trends and um yeah so you know when i when i was first doing personas and 
you would do a, a whole load of research, um, a big quant study perhaps, and, and create profiles. Um, and, and, and those were big and scary, but actually they gave you some solid facts about how people behaved. Yeah. And also then when you were doing usability testing, you know, going back and validating behavior and is this actually what we expected to see? If it's not, the persona needs to change. Yeah. Um, and going back and revisiting these things. Um, but yeah, so there were there were a few bits in there. Also just of avoiding the stereotypical pictures of, uh, you know, women laughing at salad. That's a common <laughs> one. Um, you know, I, I've had I've had clients in the past just just be like, oh, can you can you basically have one persona of a person in each color so yeah. that we don't look like we're focusing on anyone in particular? <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we're just doing this for the sake of it, aren't we? Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so I was taking so you off yes. back to the story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, um, it went down well. I was invited back a few months later to the Redux because apparently I had been voted as one of the top talks of the day, which was what's, incredible. What's a Redux? What's a Redux? Um, so it's just basically uh, a smaller version in an evening of what people have voted okay. as the best so ones. An unconference with a Redux, like a redo yeah. <laughs> of the best. Yeah, it carried on. Yeah, um, and. Um, again, it, it went well, I delivered it, I hung around for a bit and then I had to get my train back to Brighton. Um, and when I got on the train, I had a message from one of the attendees and it was basically like, um, I've actually written a thing on personas. You should read this. Uh, you know, you might learn something. I'm like, okay. Um, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because they might just try and be trying to help. Um, but I, I didn't have a look at it then because I was very tired. Um, and when I woke up the next morning, um, I actually woke up to a Twitter tirade against me. Um, and this person had, uh, listed over, I think about 12 tweets or so about how awful I was about the things I was talking about were terrible. I didn't know what I was talking about, basically trying to undermine me personally and professionally and even likening me to an anti-vaxxer for the things that I had said which was just incredible but uh yeah I kind of I was in shock and I felt absolutely crap because also I looked at their profile and this was a person who had over 50,000 followers one of whom was Stephen Fry um and was I think they had founded or, or helped to found two or three UX conferences. They, uh, they ran an agency. So they seemed like a very big fish to me. And I'm just spending this whole day thinking, well, I'm ruined. I'm never going to speak at a conference again. No one's ever going to listen to a word I say, because how many people have seen this tweet? How many people follow this guy and have seen him just rip apart everything I've said? Um, and I, I remember one bit I was, I was texting a friend because I was literally standing in front of my freezer with like a box of frozen snacks, just like crying on crying this. Out oh. <laughs> Such a sad I, I just, Yeah, I just didn't know what to do. I was just standing there like, I don't know what's going on. But, but I decided to respond. Um, and I, 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 took, I put some effort into my response. I took my time. I didn't want it to be emotional because especially when you're female, you know, if, if you get emotional about anything, people will just 
dismiss you because you're just being an emotional woman. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of said, well, you know what? Firstly, you had opportunities after the conference and the Redux to speak to me as a peer and you chose not to do that. Uh, You've chosen to reinforce your own ego by doing this and throwing this out there to the world. Mm. Um, uh, And also he was shutting down conversation and almost uh, he was, he was blaming my problems with personas on me. And I'm kind of saying, hang on, are you blaming a poor user experience on the user? Because that doesn't sound right. Mm. Um, and and yeah they like just just saying that this is not the way that you should have done this mm. um and you said that publicly as well that you replied. i said that publicly yeah and i'm actually really glad i did because i got firstly just this outpouring of support from uh from the ux community uh well ux and cx people mm. um saying like what he said was totally unfair totally unfounded that they'd enjoyed my talk which was lovely to hear um and, and just that it was unacceptable. Um, what I also got were a few private messages of people who said that they had done the same to him, to, to them, that yeah. he had done the same to them. Yeah. Um, and they had lost all their confidence in public speaking. They'd lost their confidence at work. They no longer felt like they could speak out. And even some of them who had worked in his agency saying that they had had that happen in work. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was, it was satisfying to, to hear that, of course. Um, but also it was, it was a real learning point for me because where I had thought that this was like the end of the world and I was devastated, it actually really showed that, um, even though this one person was railing against me, I think every time someone's doing that, there's probably another 10 people who are supporting you. Yeah, And especially in in our industry it's so supportive people are so supportive of each other people will offer mentoring they'll answer questions they'll give you advice um all you have to do is is ask or sometimes not ask and people will just help you out anyway um and also that just because someone seems like they're really big it doesn't mean that they're right like so many people disagreed with him that that clearly it's a point for contention not everyone agrees and you know i i feel if not everyone agrees then this is something that should be debated it should be questioned and you shouldn't just accept well this is a tool that we use so we use it and we don't question it Mm -hmm. well if it's not working well for you absolutely question it Mm -hmm. um and I, i think that's yeah i think only by kind of sharing with each other, understanding each other's point of view and really having that open and honest and frank discussion is the only way that we can improve. Yes. Because otherwise, you know, we'd, we'd all still be designing the same websites that were going out in the nineties, um, which <laughs> as exciting as they are, <laughs> are probably not great. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah. And I suppose my, my final thought on that is also if you are in a position of power or a position of authority, or you've been, just in a job for a long time is it's really important to think about how what you're saying will affect the people that you're saying it to mm-hmm. and whether you're being helpful or if you're just kind of being a massive ego <laughs> yeah trying, trying to be big trying to be clever yeah um or, yeah. or if you are genuinely trying to help them so yeah. yeah 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 I totally agree with you and I think with 
customer experience there is no right answer it's no. been around for a speck of dust in terms of time there's so little academia around our subject that it is all open to interpretation and i think the danger is if we continue to um have that approach where the community cordially agrees with each other constantly mm. we're perpetuating to your point um, tools and systems and frameworks that frankly still came out of the 90s so mm. we need progressive thinking we need to challenge the agenda we need to question continuously and um, anyone who's standing in the way of that and not wanting open debate and intelligent inquiry has got an agenda of their own right so um, mm. yeah let's keep questioning let's keep standing out there and let's keep standing up for ourselves with the bigger people who are trying to shoot us down. So just yeah. wanted to say thanks so much for coming on the show today. I'm sure all the listeners have really enjoyed hearing about the wonders of being a freelance digital nomad and your story of how you got here. Um, I think you're super inspirational, especially given that you came from relatively humble beginnings and crafted this whole incredibly exciting life for yourself. Um, and clearly you've got a huge amount of character to have gone through um, some of those difficult traumatic experiences, especially with that guy and, you know, standing up for yourself and still being here today, having got over whatever damage you did to your confidence to be on the Women in CX podcast today. I think it's um, a great example of an inspiring woman in CX. <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, so just like to say thank you to everybody listening as well and we'll see you next week thanks Claire take care bye bye thanks for listening to the women in CX podcast with me Claire Musket if you enjoyed the show please drop us a like subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on and if you want to know more join us at womenincx.community and follow the women in cx page on linkedin join us again next week where i'll be talking to another inspiring woman in cx about her experience of being on the side hustle during a pandemic and her views on how nigerian culture shapes women including herself to become seriously independent see you all next week <laughs>